Today we look at a text from Scripture that is a hard one. One that uh, many of us in our uh, compassion would like to just rule out and explain away. It's this idea that Jesus says, there's a man in torment, a man in Hades. And we know from Scripture this idea of hell. It's not meant for people. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 25 that, that those who might go there would go there to this place reserved for the devil and his angels. It's not meant for humans, but yet we see Jesus explain that there are people who go there. It's like, do you struggle with this? Do you struggle that there is a loving God and yet there is a place called Gehenna, Hades, the underworld, hell? Am I the only one? Well, you may or may not struggle with it. I want to, today I want to look at this text from Jesus and think, well, how, what good is this? What can we take from this? And I, and I propose to you, I have a good friend who always uses the word argue, but I'll propose to you, I'll argue to you, that if you are to believe in hell as Jesus teaches it, you know yourself better. And if you believe in hell as Jesus teaches it, you know a loving God better. And those things may not seem to make sense to you, but as we look at the text, uh, hopefully it'll make more sense to you. Just a disclaimer, I got ideas from this because it's not an easy thing. I looked at uh, several other um, places, C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller, others as well, to get some help so I can communicate this to you. This could be a three-hour sermon. It's probably only going to be two, so that's good. At least you guys have a sense of humor. Thank you. Well... As we look at this text, um, there's a man in torment, a man in Hades, and you might think, well, you could explain it away and say, I think Jesus is just speaking metaphorically, right? You could say that. It's just a metaphor. It's just a story. In other places when he's clearly teaching about hell, it's just a metaphor. And I'll stand over here as, maybe not your pastor, but just as a, a reflecting person and say, I do think that the fire of hell is a metaphor. And I'll stand back over here as your preacher and say I think it's a metaphor of something infinitely worse than fire itself. Does that make sense? It is a real thing according to Jesus and it is something that is far worse than we can imagine. Jesus calls it, not here, a place of fire. Other places he calls it a place of loneliness, a place of gnashing of teeth, a place of um, inside torment. It's not just the physical torment. Okay, this is heavy. Let's take a look at it. So I said the first thing I want to be, convince you of is that believing in hell will help you to know yourself better. Alright, let's take a look. Look at your bulletin. This is Luke chapter 16. And Jesus starts off. says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple. Ken, this is for you. Is he a Vikings fan? Ken knows every team what color they are. So, Ken, what teams are purple? What? One, two, three. Okay. He could go on. He could go on and on. It's like all college teams. Anyway, this man is not just a fan of his favorite team wearing purple. He is uh, extravagant. This is a royalty color. This is super, super expensive cloth. He's clothed in purple and fine linen, and he feasted sumptuously every day. In the previous chapter, there's another sumptuous feast. It's when the prodigal son comes home and kills a fattened calf. This is an unusual thing. Feasting is good, right? Having a huge party at Thanksgiving and other times is good. This guy does it every day. 
what he loves more than anything. And then contrast that, there's a poor man that was laid at his gates, right outside his house. He couldn't ignore it. Everyone knew this guy was rich, so they bring the guy in need to him. Does the guy with a lot of money help him? Pretty clearly, no. He just lays there. He wants the crumbs, the leftover chicken wings, the stuff that goes to the dogs. And instead of getting what goes to the dogs, the dogs come in with him. Talk about a sorry state. Can you think of two extremes more than that? And we could use our imagination like Jesus wants. The richest of rich, the poorest of poor, and the rich man will not help the poor man. So now we see a great reversal. This is verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Jesus teaches other places that heaven is something like a great feast where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those who are called come to it and recline and celebrate. So now this man who never celebrated on earth is celebrating in heaven. See that Abraham's side? That's the picture of heaven. Then he says, oh, let me back up though. Back to verse 20. It says, at his gate was laid a poor man. And then these next two words are the most astounding words from Jesus. It says that a poor man named Lazarus. Have you guys heard of Lazarus before? Right. There's Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, right? And in John chapter 11, Jesus raises this guy Lazarus from the dead. I like what his sister said. Lord, you let him out of there. By this time, he's sinking. You know, I like that line in King James. That's a different Lazarus. Someone else who's named Lazarus. Here, this is the only person in all of Jesus' stories, all of his parables, that he gives them a name. You catch that? This is the only guy in all the stories. Look, I just have my Bible open, Luke 15 and 16. Just the parables right here on this page, all the characters are, are nameless, as all of them are. In Luke 15, there's a shepherd that goes out to find the sheep, a woman to look for her coins, a prodigal son, a generous father, a grumbling older brother, a dishonest manager, a generous landowner, all these people, these different characters, none of them have names. Never, ever do they have names. So here when Jesus gives this guy a name, that's his significance. And his name means the one who God helps. This man is the one that God helps. He has a name. He had nothing on earth but an eternity. He has a name, an identity. He is God's, the one that God helps. The rich man, he also died. And he was buried. What does he have left? As Kurt read a moment ago, he had people with wealth and or not wealth, you can't take it with you. This guy takes nothing with him. And because his identity was his stuff, when he no longer has his stuff, he no longer has an identity. He is not given a name by Jesus. Okay. Anyway, as it goes on, he is in Hades being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Think of this man. Even here, 
when he's at the, this other side, he still wants to boss Lazarus around. Also think, does he want to get out of there? Does he say, Father Abraham, let me out. I want to go up there to the celestial banquet. No, he's like, I'm okay, just send me some relief while I'm here. He doesn't want anything to do with God. And he's still bossing this guy, Lazarus, around. And then Abraham said to him, child, again, the compassion in Father Abraham's voice, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, right? All the stuff he had, the purple cloth, the fine linen, the sumptuous food, it was all good things, right? Was any of it inherently bad? No, none of it was inherently bad. What made it bad? Became his priority. Yeah. It became who he was. And we all have those kind of things, good things in our life, right? We, I can look around at all of you and I can come up with an example. I know what, what interests you. I know your hobbies. I know what's fun for you. I know the good things in your life. And you probably know the good things in my life. And if that's all what's in our life, then our identity becomes nothing at the end. Now, let me shift gears for a second so you can understand a little bit what hell is. We, I told you that if you believe in hell, you'll get to know yourself. We all can relate to hell inside of us. Okay? Not just a place, but a, a situation. Okay, so I want you to just think about someone you might know who, or heard about with addiction, right? You probably all have sensed something with addiction, drugs, alcohol, uh, pornography, gambling, something, where you know people whose lives have been wrecked by some form of addiction, right? Can you agree with me? You know someone? So I wrote this down as I was researching this with addiction. Addiction is a health, a personal health. And addiction has three components. The first one is DID. First one is disintegration. It's when you need more and more to try to get less and less out of it, right? And the next one is isolation. Someone who is addicted has isolation. They start to lie. They, they start to uh, be defensive. Uh, they start to blame others, right? So that's disintegration, isolation. The last one is denial. Someone who is addicted is in denial, and they cannot face the truth, right? So think of all those things. Do those things at all exist in your life? Maybe you're not an addict, but does jealousy or pride or lust exist in our hearts? C.S. Lewis said this, that uh, Christianity is, we believe the world goes on forever, right? It's either true or false. If it's true, he says this, look at your heart. If in your heart there's a little bit of anger, or a little bit of whatever sin that you struggle with, a little bit of it. If you go on forever, that thing will grow forever, and before you know it, C.S. Lewis says, that becomes who you are. You're left almost like a machine with, like this guy, no name. And only this churning, burning inside of you away from God, right? Let's move on in our text. Father Abraham talks to this rich man, or the man who was rich, and he says, besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. And he goes on to explain this great chasm between heaven and hell. And we might think, well, why would there be a great chasm fixed that no one can cross over? It doesn't seem right. 
Well, again, C.S. Lewis, he says this, that the doors of hell are locked from the inside. Let's all say that. The doors of hell are locked from the inside. That make sense? God has cleared away every sin. He has wiped the slate clean. He has offered forgiveness for everyone, everywhere. Right? But some people will not say, Thy will be done. So God says to them, Thy will be done. Hell is getting what you want forever. Heaven is God getting what he wants forever. Can you see inside yourself something of hell? If left unchecked, you'll grow forever. Right? It's not God's will. Alright, I don't know if I've convinced you. Jesus says over and over that hell is real. Let's move on and finish this up. I also said that I'm going to try to convince you that if you believe hell, is, as Jesus says, you will get to know a loving God. Or you will better know a loving God. And this is where people say, oh, you know, what the heck is that? That doesn't make any sense. Right? Well, let's look at our text. If we know, or if we, if we come to believe in hell as Jesus speaks of it, we come to know a loving God. Look at verse 27. Uh, the rich man says, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn or bear witness to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He knows at this point in time, it might be too late for him. There is a great chasm. But his brothers need to repent. They need to unlock the doors of hell that they are in. Make sense? Okay, so Jesus says, here, Abraham, I'm not going to let Lazarus come back from the grave. Okay? I'm not going to do that. Think about this. What if Abraham did let Lazarus magically, miraculously come back from the dead? And there's five brothers, and, and then Lazarus comes to them, and they're like, Whoa, Lazarus, I thought you were dead. You look pretty good. Right? And he's like, I got a message for you from your brother. Hell is real. Yeah. Don't go there. Yeah. Okay? They might believe that. But can they, on their own, decide, I'm not going to go to hell? Yeah. I'll leave that for you. They are locked in, just as we all are. We are locked in to that place on our own. And it says, unless someone rising from the dead by itself is not going to cure this, it says all they need is what they already have, which is to hear Moses and the prophets. Okay? Moses and the prophets are the scriptures they had. Well, what does Moses and the prophets have to do with this, with getting out of hell, getting out of this place of torment? And I am coming to a close, and I know some of you don't like it when I say that, but uh, I want you to think of this. Some of you have, you know, in times past, had an elementary friend move away, and that was hard, right? Some of you have lost a boyfriend or girlfriend, and that's hard. Some of you have harder have lost a grandparent or a parent, and that's hard. Some of you have lost a spouse or a child. And we can all relate. The deeper the relationship, the deeper the loss, the deeper the pain, right? Think about what Jesus came to do. You all know Psalm 22. Jesus on the cross, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what God the Father said? 
And I say this in all reverence. He said, get the hell out. He said, get the hell out to Jesus. He was separated from God. Jesus on the cross took our disintegration. He took our isolation. He took our denial, our separation from God. He took it. That's what the law, that's what Moses and the prophets said would happen with Jesus. We can't unlock ourselves, but we can know that as, again, as Kurt read, we are called by God, and the way we're called is by looking at Jesus given for us. Okay? So, how do we know, how do we know loving God in the midst of hell, in the truth of hell? We know it because Jesus took our place to get the hell out of us, to take our hell and bury it forever. This is heavy, I, I agree. At the end, this is how our parable ends. Father Abraham said to the man who was rich, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. Lazarus was not sent back to those five brothers. But Jesus was risen from the dead. And he was risen to get us out of hell forever. And look around. If there's a few of us here, there's a whole lot more brothers and sisters out there. And Jesus wants to speak to them as well. And he does that through Moses and the prophets, through the New Testament. But he also do, does it through you, through your mouths. Through you pointing people to Jesus on the cross and to the empty tomb. Heavy. Good. In the name of Jesus. Amen.